Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. This episode features a conversation with Nicholas Johnson. Nick is a senior counsel in Foley's Milwaukee office with a practice focused on environmental law and food-related regulatory matters. In this discussion, Nick reflects on growing up in Hudson, Wisconsin, attending Northwestern University for undergrad and the University of Illinois College of Law. Nick also shares a really funny story of him writing a letter to the editor as a kid that I just have to preface for you was super left field, but I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I think you'll enjoy it too. Um, I then get Nick to reflect on how it was that he chose to go to Northwestern for college and why it was he then chose to go to the University of Illinois College of Law to earn his JD. After that, we talk about Nick's adjustment to law school. He says how that first year, particularly that first semester, were pretty rough for him, and he has an experience that I think a lot of law students have where he learns he has to adjust his study habits. Nick then shares what it was like graduating from law school in that Great Recession era, how he actually was deferred a little while for his first job, and he then jumps into talking about the early days of his legal practice, how he decided on his practice area, and overall, I think this discussion with Nick is just sprinkled with so many just smart observations on adjusting to being a lawyer that I think everyone will really enjoy. Um, I then get Nick to talk about the ins and outs of being an environmental lawyer. And finally, we wind the conversation down with him providing some great advice on insight on the LGBTQ community in Milwaukee, and also on the importance of really taking the time to find a practice that best suits your interests. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Nick Johnson. Nick, welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you here today. And I'm going to have you start just like everyone else starts, which is me asking you to give your professional introduction. Absolutely. My name is Nick Johnson. Um, I am senior counsel in the Milwaukee office of Foley and Lardner, and I do primarily uh, environmental law, but then also I do quite a bit of um, uh, food, what I would call food regulatory law as well. All right. So I look forward to hearing about your practice, but we're not going to get there for a bit because I, I like to ask guests. Oh, so okay. Tell, that's fine. Yeah. Tell me about your practice and then let's not talk about it for at least 25 or 30 minutes. <laughs> that's fine with me. I'll talk about anything. <laughs> well, let's start somewhat at the beginning. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? I was born in St. Paul, Minnesota, and we lived there for about the first seven years of my life. And then we moved to a town called Hudson, Wisconsin, which is right across the, the river, the St. Croix River, actually from St. Paul. So maybe just like 25 uh, minutes into St. Paul. So, um, and, and then I, I spent basically kindergarten through um, the end of, of high school there. All right. So I'm going to ask for a snapshot of childhood. You can take this any way you'd like, but say, say I found you late elementary school, middle school, like what sort of kid were you? What, what were you into? Grouchy. I was very grouchy. I was a very, very grouchy. Um, I, I had, I had very, I got bored very easily. And, and so that led to a, a variety of, of hijinks primarily written I, I established myself very early as a, as a, 
as a as a writer of letters to the editor to our uh, local uh, rag that was called the Hudson Star Observer, and and this was one of these newspapers where they published like literally once a week. And, and there was no editorial discretion whatsoever at this point. I mean, any sort of crackpot could write in and, and say basically any anything they wanted. And so I took advantage of that at a very young age and, and wrote all kinds of ridiculous letters to the editor. Um, so were you starting. complaining about like local stuff? Like I, you have to give me a, a, at least a, a small example of what one of these letters might be addressing. It, sure. There uh, was uh, somebody uh, had written a letter expressing concern um, that that she had heard that there was a book um, in the Hudson High School library that uh, had something to do with satanic worship, um, and and this person was very concerned uh, and and thought that um, that this book shouldn't. Be in the library because we can't have books about worshiping Satan. Um, you know, uh, it, it polluting the the minds of our impressionable um, young high schoolers. So, so, so because I don't take anything seriously or didn't back then, um, I wrote I wrote a letter saying, "Thank you." The uh, the 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 last week's uh, letter writer was a hundred percent correct, uh, up until. A few weeks ago, I was a perfectly uh, normal and healthy uh, high school student, but then I stumbled upon the devil worshiping book, and <laughs> and now uh, everything has gone wrong. I live in a cave above the Saint Croix River, uh, uh, and come out only only at night uh, to um, you know do all kinds of awful My things, all uh, devil related, right? Right? My rituals and yeah, and and, and such sort. Um, and they published and, it. And, Oh yeah, one hundred percent. They published it, and and not only and so first of all, and not only and this was unbeknownst to me at the time, but my mother, I was insistent on sending this letter, and so my mother called up the newspaper, <laughs> unbeknownst to me at the time, and she said, "Look, my my son's a little bit of a, a hothead. Um, he's he's going to write a letter that he sent to you in response to this, but it's satire. It's not true. None of it's as if this weren't obvious. Not, none of it's true. Uh, he doesn't really live in a cave above the river." Uh, he doesn't really worship Satan, <laughs> and they said, "Okay, yeah, yeah, we get it." So, so then, when they published the letter, they put they put like the headline was, you know, student writes tongue in cheek response to prior letter about devil worshiping, and so then you know that came out, and I was kind of bummed, but I was like, "Okay, whatever." Like they got the point. So, no joke. The next week, the next week, somebody writes in a letter, one hundred percent serious, that was like, Nick. Uh, we we read your letter. Uh, we're very concerned about your soul. Um, we we are praying for you. Um, we we <laughs> we hope that you can find your way out of the cave. Um, and at which point I said, you know, I'm I think I'm going to move on to other pursuits. Okay. Fun. Yeah, I'll write I'll write letters to other magazines. Well, I was going to say satire, and it sounds like you had a wicked sense of humor. So that does give me a sense of who you are, who you were as a child. And I appreciate you for sharing that story. But let's let's fast forward a little bit. Okay, now you're in high school and you are thinking about college. Where did you go, and what was that process like for you? So I went to Northwestern University um, in Evanston, Illinois, which was absolutely wonderful. And I didn't, this seems bizarre to me thinking back on it because 
from college forward, I, I was pretty good about plotting my, my destiny, so to speak. But, but when I was say a freshman in high school or sophomore, I, I honestly wasn't thinking about college at all. Like I just, I just wasn't, I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't thinking about going to college. I wasn't thinking about where I was going to college. And my mother, to her credit, basically just started driving me all over the Midwest to different schools. And Northwestern was one of them. So I did one of those overnight visits and I was actually pretty quickly hooked. And I'm really, in, in retrospect, it was probably the best decision I ever made in my entire life. Wow. Um, be, because it because it was just so, it, so many, it, it opened so many doors and so many opportunities. And it, and it introduced me to so many people who I know I wouldn't have met Otherwise, had I perhaps gone somewhere else, um, Hudson was a town that was I, I, like most. So, so just to put this in perspective, I had I had a core group of friends, who, all of whom I'm still very close with, um, but like literally, they all went to the University of Wisconsin Madison, and and absolutely nothing against UW Madison, a great school. Wait, but I can relate to that because I grew up in Wisconsin and we had reciprocity, as I recall. So there were you'd, Minnesota and Wisconsin. Yeah, it's like interchangeable. Right. And, and I just and and I just I don't want to do high school again. Like, I, I don't I don't want to, like, hang out with the same people who I've been hanging out with. I don't want to be in Wisconsin. I just I want a different experience. And and that and it really that was that was the right decision. That was right. But but if not for my mother. I'm not sure I would be in college. I don't. I don't know what I. I really don't know what I would do. Maybe living in a cave. I, I Maybe don't... you would have ended up in. That, that's right. You would have ended up in that cave, and you would have had to write back to the people who wrote to that letter. But okay, so bravo, mom, for taking charge of that process. Although I have to say, without for a lot of people, no, no, for some, I won't say for a lot, but for many, without parents heavily influencing influencing that process, often at 16, you don't know what's going on so uh, no no you don't you don't i was just running around you know causing trouble like that's that's mainly what i did i mean not trouble but yeah right writing writing satirical letters so what was your what was your major at northwestern i majored in communications it was actually double i was communications and political science which which there was you know code for i'm i'm going to law school yeah so tell me yeah tell me why how did you decide on those things and how did you know law school was in your future I, I decided very early on that I, I wanted to be a lawyer because I I uh, uh, I, I think it was the the, the 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 fact that it was an intellectual pursuit appealed to me and especially when I got to college I just it, everything felt too like it's difficult to describe but I I couldn't think of anything that I really wanted to be other than that. I, I knew that I liked to write a lot and, and that I was good at writing. And and I knew and I, I liked, especially when I got to college, I just liked the the academic mm-hmm. exercise of of like digging into something and, and thinking about it, you know, deeply um in, in a way that is is structured, right? If that makes sense. But but I also didn't like the idea of just being an academic for the academic sake. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if I'd probably done anything else, that's maybe what I would have done is just like stayed in academia. But I, I didn't want to do that because I also, I wanted to, to I wanted to be able to do something that had practical application, um, you know, to whatever that was. Right? But, it's, I, but it almost sounds like you thought, I want to do something that 
feels pretty academic and cerebral, but that yeah. isn't yeah. academia. Oh, sure. um, that's right. that's law school. That's basically unless and you that very much, that absolutely yeah. was law school. Yeah, that was law yeah, school. No, absolutely, absolutely, it was. Um, and so, so then the majors I chose were meant to complement each other. I mean, because political science obviously is, but you know, you can dig this. It, that that is sort of the academic exercise, and there's a million things you can do with that, right? And, and then the the communications classes were, of course, derided by everybody in the engineering school as like the football major, and which was true. There were a lot of football players. <laughs> players in my class there were uh but but i actually i actually thought that they were very very practically useful because i took all these these classes on like communication strategies i mean there was this whole class on like workplace communication right um and then and then you got into like classes that touched on like the psychology of of you know communication and and why you know, there are generational differences between, you know, people and their communications. And I just, I just found it, all of that had real practical application when I had to go out into the real world, right? And, and get an actual job where like not everybody is the same age as you and or like motivated the same way as you are doing. So, 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 so that all um, ended up working really well for somebody who's pre-law. Well, it's just so funny <laughs> though, as you say, say that, because it's one of those things where, I mean, also, just given what I do for the firm, uh, communication, human connection, making it so other people can understand what you're saying, it, it, it matters for the, the practicing lawyers as well. But I'm in this like very human focused role. And the things you're saying are often the things we scoff at as, as soft skills. Like, why would you ever need actual classes or education? But I think all of us, really, regardless of what your, your job is, you're in a workplace with other people. Once you've been out of school for a while, you very much see how all that's very practical <laughs> and useful. Oh, absolutely. And you wish yeah. you would have gotten yeah. it if you didn't, which is most of us. No, right, right. And exactly. And and and, and that, but, you know, also the, the ability to, like, on my job every day, I have to take concepts that are, like, pretty complicated or often complicated and explain it in, in a way to people who are not lawyers that so, so that they don't look at me with glazed eyes, right, when, I, when I'm trying to explain something. And that's not always easy. And, and and I think the more you you have you have actually studied communications as a field or taken classes in it, yeah, it really it really isn't it, BS for lack of a better word. Right? This mm -hmm. it really is a skill, and and you really can learn it, and you really can get better at it, and, yeah. and that's why it it helps you to study it. That's well, it's one hundred percent. Perhaps we'll get get into it more when we get to your your practice. Although knowing me, I'll, I'll forget to dig in at that point. But I do just want to tease out once again what you said about my job is you know to some extent to take difficult things and make them easy for non-lawyers to understand. Like I just I just have to stress that because I think in the seventy eight or so episodes I've had of this podcast, you've said that the most succinctly out of ever, anyone. And I just really hope that the law students listening hear that, that even though a lot of us are really cerebral and like the academic and like the kind of highfalutin whatever, at the end of the day, we have to translate this to non-lawyers and hopefully as plain plain English as possible. So I just, I just had to reiterate that because you said it so well. Well, and it, no, and that it really is a good point for people who are transitioning, right, and who are you know earlier in their 
career because because yeah like in law school if you're like most of us like you do like to nerd out about like certain doctrines right and you can talk about you know legal concept for hours and hours because you have to right because either because you're studying for a test or you actually do think it's interesting or some combination of both but then when you get into practice it's like well you need to simplify it right because the person who you're talking to likely is very busy and and doesn't have much time to talk to you and, and you need to get your message across as succinctly and clearly as possible um, and it is a shift it is totally a shift yes. because because, because you go in and, and you think, and, you, and as a first year associate, you think, oh my God, like I need to tell the partner everything about this doctrine. And like, if I miss one detail, you know, oh my gosh, they're going to think I'm an idiot. Um, and, and, and you, ju- and it, it isn't, it isn't that it's, it's give me just the facts. Right. And, and, you know, succinctly so I can apply them to the situation. Well, what you just um, said, it takes years to learn that. At first, oh yeah, no, first, oh, absolutely. Because at first, yeah. the first email, I know we're jumping ahead and we will walk through to get you, you know, through law school and fully yeah. and all that. But um, at first, when you start practice, you're like sending a 1200 word email right. to the partner with your conclusion <laughs> yeah, right. at the bottom right. and the partner's right, kind right, of like right. thanks so much for your efforts next time could you an- give me just your answer at the top and then if you want to give me a bunch of other stuff you can and then the same thing goes for clients clients are like thanks for your you know 40 page memo what should my business unit do Right, right. Can you just yeah, no, 100%. 100%. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Okay. 100%. Hopefully we explore that even more. But let's talk. Okay. So you finish up at Northwestern, um, the degrees in, I think you said communications and poli sci. So then what? Like, I, I, you know, I have your bio pulled up and I can see you on LinkedIn. So it looks like you took a couple years off before you went to law school. So what happens after you graduate from college? I, yeah, I did. I, I, my goal was always to go to law school, but honestly, my senior year, I was just so busy with all the stuff that I had taken on um, that I just decided I, I didn't have time to study for the LSAT. Yeah, really. and can you give um, us so like, what just, was some of the stuff that you were involved in? I was. Um, oh, this is going to get me in trouble. I'm sure. <laughs> I was president of my fraternity, um, which was really quite an adventure. Uh, hey, that I, shows leadership skills and all that. I talk about this in my biased programs, by the way, sometimes how, well, how, how we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll have certain preconceived notions about certain activities, but Hey, what you just said exhibits yeah. leadership, go on, go on. Well, and it, no, and it really did. And boy, we could have a whole podcast about, about this topic, but, um, it did really did. And, and it, and it made me certain aspects of the job made me grow up very, very quickly. Um, and, and you, cause you really, you, you were, it was, it was a leadership role. Anyway, what else was I doing? Oh, I mean, there were a couple of, um, I was, oh, I was, I was a sketch comedy writer for the, um, they had a show that was like similar to Saturday Night Live. So, so you wrote sketches and then you had, and there was like an acting troupe and they, they put on a show every That's year. awesome. By so the way, I am connecting that to the letters you were writing, the satirical letter, like this, this makes sense. Go on. Oh yeah. On. Yeah. I mean, you just, you, you, it, that was a lot of fun. And then I was involved with a um, scholarship organization that um, it, it really was, it, it just, we had a certain pool of money from the university um, and we used it to select, there were rising uh, rising seniors for, for scholarships, uh, merit-based scholarships. Yeah. And I, so I was involved with that. And then, you know, just classes and then. I don't know, you want to leave some time for just like enjoying yourself. Yeah, because you're um, a senior. senior and, and, and also going yeah. to law school and studying for the LSAT is not a minor undertaking. So everything you just mentioned, yeah, that was a busy, a busy year. So then you end up 
graduating and getting a job after, or how did how did that work? Yeah, I took yeah yeah I took a job actually back in the Twin Cities, um, working at um, it was a large uh, healthcare company. Um, it, just basically in the, I was doing like. I was writing sales proposals. Basically, is what I was doing. There, there were there were people who were selling the the products, but then they they needed people to write the the proposals, and so that's what I did. Um, and it was it was fine. It was fine for a year and a half because it was honestly a nine to five job that I could kind of check out after. Um, and and then I had you know studied for for the LSAT. Um, and 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 of course you know I saved some money, which is always a good things to do. Um, so, so I don't regret that time at all. Um, and, and, and to the point we were making before you, you learn, you learn practical skills about working in offices and working in workplaces that you cannot learn in college and you cannot learn in law school. Um, and so that was, was also useful. Um, and, and I, I think that people should, I mean, like Northwestern law school famously will not take anybody without work experience. Like they just won't do it. Like you could get a perfect score on your LSAT and, and like have a perfect GPA from Harvard and they'd be like, go work for a couple of years and come back. Yeah, that's and definitely I, I think, I think I, and I think it's good. I, I think it's good. I, I think really everybody ought to go get some real world experience um, for, for at least a year or two. And I, I was not one of those people who did, by the way, I was straight through, I had two weeks off between undergrad and law school, <laughs> but I, I, I agree with you. Um, in retrospect, when I look back, it's like, I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. How much practical experience with anything did I have? Basically none. Basic, yeah, basically, basically. Right. So I, 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 I right. support your observation and recommendation there. So where did you go for law school? How did you, how did you decide on your law school? I went to University of Illinois uh, in Champaign, Illinois, and I, 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 I picked it primarily because um, I knew that I wanted to practice in Chicago, coming out of law school, and at the time. Illinois was it was it was it was in the top twenty five law schools, and 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 they, they I was very impressed. I, I went there. It came down be- between there and another school, um, and I was very impressed by the academic the uh, faculty at, at University of Illinois. They they just did a really good job of presenting their credentials, for lack of a better term during the the visits so so yeah and it, it was good i the the best part about the college of law was i mean aside from it was a good it was a good legal it was, it was good it was a great legal education but the, the people in my class were almost almost abnormally normal <laughs> um in 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 that, I really really made a lot of really like, liked, some of my yeah. best friends. I, we really liked, and 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 it wasn't just a few people. It was it was, you know, they divided us into sections, right? And and there were probably like sixty people in my section, but w- they were all great. And you know, we just they were great about being normal, and they were great about like, you know everybody actually genuinely helping yeah. each other and like not being super competitive. I just, think it's, so and I just... I think it's so funny you said that, by the way, because I don't, I don't know a ton about the University of Illinois College of Law, but I've met, you know, many people who've graduated from there and there is a tightness within the alumni that 
you know, I like to think that all law schools are like this, but I think there's something unique there. And I've just found that yeah. a lot of the, particularly, no, I think in, the, you're right. yeah, I think particularly you're right. in the Chicago area, like they all know each other. <laughs> and I'm thinking of people that are, you know, graduate around the same time, but know each other in a way that, per, that I found surprising. Um, I have wondered if some of that is being in Champagne. And, uh, and, uh, you, yeah, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, and because it really is, there's o- there's only really one place to go if you want to hang out, and it's well, it in and in, in, in work, and it's the College of Law building, right? And and everybody kind of lives within the the same area, of the campus, and it, and it isn't like, um, you know, I, I had friends who went to Northwest. Just I'm, I'm not picking on Northwestern as, as a law school, but you know, who went there, and and the the but the people in their classroom sort of scattered all yeah, throughout across the parts the of Chicago, right. right? And so mm-hmm. and so you didn't just by virtue of geography, yeah, you didn't feel as is is closely connected to that. Or that's that's at least what people who went there have said. That's so um, interesting. So so yeah, for sure. And 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 yeah, I mean and, and it was it was easier to just sort of um <laughs> to take advantage of the the undergrad experience, right? Because I mean it's you know you've got it's it's a little like Madison and there's there's like a a, a, a champagne equivalent of state street right where like there's all these bars and you know you could yeah it was just right it, it, it was very conducive to and only oh, things like law stool darts like we've had a darts yeah. league and a softball league and just like all these things that just made it conducive that's, to that's wonderful yeah in terms of the community yeah. and then so how was yeah. it for you adjusting academically to law school yeah what, what was that experience it, it was, like it was not automatic and it was not easy. And in, in fact, I, um, the, my, my first semester, my, my grades were not as good as I had hoped them to be because I, in retrospect, wasn't studying the right way. Because it, it, it was more in undergrad, right? You just like, for, for the most part, you just like write down everything the professor says, and then you just regurgitate it. Back, yeah, then right? you write it down uh, later, the same exact stuff, and right. you've gotten a good grade. Yes. Right. And then you're like, oh, yeah, great, perfect day, because I just said exactly what you told me to say. And of course, law school is not like that, right? You you, you have to, uh, you know, you, you, you actually have to think. Um, and, <laughs> and I didn't, and, and that was the part that I, I didn't grasp right away. And, and I really had to shift after my first semester, I had to make a conscious shift as to how I studied because I, I realized I wasn't doing it the right way. And then, and then after I did, that was fine. Yeah. But, but yeah, for sure it was different. Well, no, 100% I, but different. I'm so happy you've shared that because I've talked with so many law students who have that exact same experience for a variety of reasons. And that, oh, I have to synthesize the information differently or apply it differently than just regurgitating it, like you said, is a huge factor. But also, you are living proof, Nick, that even if your first semester didn't go exactly how you wanted, <laughs> you can come out the like. There's just there's just some students, by the way, who do really really need to hear that right now because <laughs> they've decided that's not the case. But but it takes a, a lot of people have to adjust that first semester. And I was just talking to a one L who went through that experience just like right now. So I appreciate you highlighting that. You could say first semester contracts, my worst grade I have ever received, like probably ever academically. 
and and here I am negotiating contracts probably on a weekly basis. So see, it's it's fine. Okay, You're and, and not and not and not committing malpractice on top exactly. of that. So so about let's that? Ta- let's yeah. talk. And there might be some more observations about the law school experience, but let's start connecting it to. You getting that first law firm opportunity because so you're a you're a lateral to Foley. You worked at a few other firms before Foley and Lardner. So how did you navigate that? Like finding your your first job. What was that process like for you? We were lucky because we were the last class that that got into the you know the the salad days, so to speak, of of law school hiring, right? Um, and, pre, and I had pre Great Recession. We'll just spell that. Yeah, out. pre. Great well, it was. It was. Yeah. Well, and in fact, the Great Recession occurred. Well, you I were, mean, I, I you were remember in law this school. because it was so. Yeah. Uh, it, it was. I swear to you, it was like it was like literally a month or or two after most of us had gotten our, you know, the people who went through the on-campus interview had gotten their interviews or their offers, I mean, um, and, and not everybody was able to hang on to them. Um, I, I, the, the firm I ended up working for was a, a big firm in Chicago that I picked actually primarily because, well, I mean, obviously it's you know, a great firm. Um, but, but I, I had a friend who was in my undergrad class that went straight through uh, law school, and he ended up at this firm. And so he, he of course, was a you know was a big backer of it, and he introduced me to people, and it ended up being it ended up being a good fit. But yeah, but so so what happened was, um, we I, the the firm, to its credit, made good on its offers, but they also said, here is some certain money, go away for a year. It, it do, do whatever you want, um, and we'll see you in a year. Um, and, and that ended up working into my advantage um, because I, <laughs> having nothing else to do, really, um, I had been taking a class. At this point, I knew I was envir- interested in environmental law. Mm-hmm. I, but I was taking a class with a professor. It was environmental law related. And so I approached him and I said, hey, look, I all of a sudden have a beer on my hands. Um, do, do you need any help or do you know anyone who like needs any help? And he said, not in the environmental law space, but I also do food law. Um, this was the other component of his research interests. He actually was in the School of Agriculture, but he was an attorney. Um, and he said, I happen to have a, a, a research fellowship. And this is right after Congress had passed a major piece of legislation updating the the food safety system, essentially giving FDA much more authority to make to make food safer, for lack of a better phrase. Do you want to be my research assistant? I said, yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, I had no background in food law. I had no interest in it, frankly, in that point. But I said, okay, sure. And that ended up being a huge benefit to my career. Um, later down the road. So that was quite a happy accident. Wow. And it's, you're bringing me back. I've had a few people on the podcast who either, you know, came out or were very much affected at that Great Recession era. So the one thing I just want to reiterate for those who maybe don't understand what a huge impact that time had on legal, particularly the law students, as you said, a number of people maybe had offers but did not keep their offers. Um, and at the time, a lot of firms who were able to defer people, like you said, here's however much money, come back in a year, because there really wasn't that much work to be done. 
particularly depending on the practice area that and that's how firms managed you know, to not lose who they recruited, but they're like, we can't start you because there's nothing for you to do, which I think right now, given that we're also, you know, navigating unprecedented times is still hard maybe for those who are just starting their career to conceive of because we're still starting classes and still have work to do even in the pandemic. And back in the Great Recession, things were different because there was there was no no credit to be had. And, you know, corporate groups in particular were just twiddling their thumbs for quite some time. So, um, but it's wonderful that you were able to figure out a way and to lay some groundwork. But can you also talk about how it was that you knew that environmental, had you p- taken some classes and that was what was, or did you get exposure maybe as a summer associate? How'd you settle on that as an area of interest? Well, a combination of things. So, so first of all, my my family influence again. My my father um, s- spent well, let's see, almost forty years um, at a at a it's a, an agency. It's a government agency in, in in the Twin Cities. It's called the Metropolitan Council, and it has sort of like interjurisdictional authority over over multiple cities. But but they one of the things they they do is basically oversee like the, the the water quality of the Twin Cities metropolitan system, right? And that that was his job. Um, and he's also uh, somebody who I would call a an environmentalist. I mean, that's that's that has been that's kind of a pejorative term um, these days, or, or can be in my profession. But I, I don't mean it that way in any any sense. I mean, we we were I, that that was. I mean, one of my the greatest things I remember as a kid, we were just outside all the time and we'd go camping and we would go fishing and we would go, I mean, you know, up, up to Northern Minnesota. And uh, it, it really, that, that was our vacation. Like that's, we didn't do anything else, <laughs> you know, um, which was great. It was great. Um, and so, so that was sort of instilled in me um, very young um, to, to at least appreciate the, the environment. And then, and then, but then second, so, so I was inclined to it. And, and then the more I sort of thought about it, I, 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 I liked the idea of, and this goes back to me being more academic, is I, I like the idea of the fact that there's this sort of this complex framework of laws that that is vast and complex and so takes some doing to master if you ever master it. Um, I certainly wouldn't say I have. Um, but But then also sort of is there's there's four corners to it, and what I mean by that is I, I don't I don't think I could ever be like a like a commercial litigator who just you know it, it's it's case by case right, and then it, it's what you're doing. I, I get there's skills that every you know litigator needs to have to do, but but the but the topic matter right. I mean you 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 can sort of um, position yourself as an expert right mm-hmm. in in a particular area of law, um, and and the more I thought about that, the more I liked the the concept of, of that. Um, yep. But I, I could just keep studying. I love yeah. that explanation because I'd say a re- a reoccurring theme, you know, not surprisingly on this podcast is find the practice area that you like the most, that most resonates with you. I mean, and that frankly likely reflects some aspect of your personality or something you're curious about. And the way you describe that as to why environmental was something that piqued your interest, I just thought was so clear where, you know, in contrast as a, you know, I'm a former litigator, everything you just said is why I would never want to touch environmental. 
Yeah. Well, right. Well, no, exactly. Right. right. And it, but it's so yeah. clear, like, because people are wired so differently. And so your explanation as to why it appealed to you. Right. And then I'll, I'm thinking of, for example, like Lee Riley, who's an Arissa uh, partner at Foley. She talked about how she also, she couldn't stand most of the areas of practice because she wanted to practice an area that had answers and litigation mm. is oh, interesting. not yeah. one of them, but <laughs> she can look to right. the Arissa statutes and tell you what it says. But I just think it's such a great example in it. The, oh, one of the hardest parts, yeah. I think, for law students, because generally in law school, it's very litigation-based, right? And you and I, th- I know it's changed a bit. Right. You probably have some right. corporate classes. But unless you, say, took that environmental law class or you take that ERISA class, it's actually pretty easy to just not get any exposure yeah. to a yeah. lot of areas of practice. So I just, anyway, that just checked a lot of boxes, everything you just said. Yeah. Um, so let's get back on track. So eventually you you finish that fellowship of sorts. You do start at your 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 first firm. And I think you said you were in Chicago. So mm-hmm. did you join their environmental group or how did how did that work in terms of you starting your your practice at a firm? Yeah, I did. Um they the I enjoy I joined their yes, I, I joined their environmental group. Um and their um it, it, it really was a, a, a great experience i mean th- this th- the 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 fir- i i pri- there are primarily three partners who who worked in this group and and most th- mostly they did litigation related to um either environmental or, or toxic tort um and then there was some you know corporate deal support too um in and all of these guys were guys uh, all of these guys were were um mentors in in some respect and and they all had extremely high expectations um they they weren't and they weren't unreasonable they weren't unreasonable but but it was it was the type of place where you just you, you just you knew you had to bring your a game every single day and, and and you wanted to do it right because because you knew that 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 whatever you're turning in was going to get Picked apart and second guessed, right? Right, and 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 so um, I think it was in so that just was instilled in me very early that like there's no there's no drafts like anything you turn into a part like it's it's not a draft it's not a oh like I'm we're still working on it like no you 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 don't you turn in like what is your absolute final like thing and and you should read it again like for read it over for like spelling errors and then you should read it again like for all of that stuff like that's because that's just what people expect and i don't i don't think it's any different here like this is this was just you know one example because i worked at a big firm but i think i think i think it's this just endemic to the profession at, at this yes. level and, and you got to get that like you have to understand that right away that then then even if people say oh yeah yeah no just give me a draft like it just is a rough draft like it doesn't need to be perfect they just say they say that but they don't really mean that they mean your best once they again really mean. but once again such a right. great thing to raise because that is a bit of an adjustment right. and and it's hard when you first start and you're juggling various requests and maybe not quite understanding the timing or care that should go into certain things, but to that partner, yeah, they're probably going to change it, but they still want you to have done everything you could possibly do to make this great because also it shows that you're being respectful of their time 
you know, they're certainly not there to, to catch what are, you know, potentially some really basic errors, which by the way, we've all made. So this isn't to make anyone feel bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, but, no, right. But right. the mindset of, I, you know, this was, I, you know, I, I was respectful of the timeline. I wrote it. I reread it. I read it again. And now I'm giving it to you. I didn't just crank it out thinking that you could, you know, fix all my, my mistakes. Well, I think, no, and you're totally right. And I think that is actually the point that you're trying to make. It's, it's not that I can turn in super perfect work product with no spelling error. Cause right. Of course, everybody like makes yeah. mistakes. Of course it, it is. Did you put the time and thought into it that indicates that it was, this was an important project to you because I, because I, that is a proxy. Like if, if I don't, then I, as I've gotten more senior, if I don't know you and I don't know your work product, like I have to, to some extent use proxies to be able to trust that you have done the work, right? correctly and that I can trust the conclusions. And, and and if there's spelling errors and mistakes, like I, my level of trust goes down yes. like quite considerably. And I, and I'm sure that everybody else at this firm who is, you know, partner or senior level will tell you the same thing. Well, and it, tell and you the it, same thing. Well, and it really also cuts to that law firm model, which, you know, being honest with you, I was, it was hard for me as a junior associate because there was part of me that was like, wait a second, you've been doing this 30 years and you just asked me to do something that I actually don't even know how to do, but I'm supposed to take <laughs> yeah. the first crack at it. Like, how does that right, make right. sense? Right. But, right. you know, that, that that's also that's how we are trained and how we learn as lawyers. But ultimately, that partner <laughs> and then later that client, they are relying on what you said. And I think it's really hard at first for associates to understand the reason a partner is going to be hard on you is because ideally they want to take that and either represent to a court or to a client. And if there's some things in there you've done that maybe don't engender a lot of trust they're going to harp on you to get you to a place where they can trust you. Like that's honestly the, I think that's the bottom line. And I also wanted to say, so with you, it's interesting. So I've had one other member of the environmental practice on the podcast. So just for listeners in case, cause I don't know if we'll have enough time to kind of go into into nuts and bolts of the practice, but I had Sarah Slack on and she's episode 70. So oh, first, Sarah, we, I, we love, we all love Sarah. Yeah, so without, I think I got her to go do a pretty decent recitation, more than more of a deep dive than I think we'll get to do. Cause there's a few other things I want to cover with you but can you say a few words generally about like your practice area like what do you focus on what does it mean to be an environmental lawyer what is that oh god that's that's a (laughs) day-to-day question you know i'll I'll tell you most of the time here's what i'm doing most of the time i'm managing risks that that is that is 99 of the time what 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 my practice at least boils down to because either you've got a client that's dealing with a potential contamination issue or they're dealing with a potential violation of environmental law um, or or maybe um, you know they're, they're dealing with a, a, a new um, type of chemical or, or something where they just they aren't sure what the regulatory scheme looks like right and and so they're they're trying to figure out how, how to how to manage that, right? And and so if it's if it's a contaminated property, for example, it's well, we got to clean this up because there's never any question you have to clean it up, right? You got to clean it up. But but how how do, how do we do that in, in a way that's most efficient that that accomplishes whatever and purposes we're going to use this property for? Um, and in and, and and also what is it going to cost me, right? To, to, to do that. Um, and, 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 you know, do I have any other 
um, protections, right, on, under the law or, or anything else. Um, you know, and I think it's it's similar with dealing with, you know, if you've got somebody who's dealing with a potential violation of environmental laws, right? It's 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 really just how are we going to fix this, and how much is it going to cost, right? Um, there's never any question about whether it gets fixed. It's it's just it you, you it, it, it and, and you know that that's that's. That I think primarily is, is what that I'm sums doing. It up. Now bring in yeah. bring in some of the food and beverage. And I'm going to say some words and you can fix them. But you know, initially when you mentioned, because I, I, I caught the environmental, I hadn't caught the food and beverage aspect of your practice. So when you mentioned that, I was a little bit surprised. And I imagine there's similarities there because food and beverage is also heavily regulated. But say more in terms of how did you, was that fellowship what planted the seeds of also having the food and beverage practice or how did you bring both of those together? Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. The fellowship really was, the, that was my foundation of, of food law. I mean, it really was, I had none um, prior to that, but I, 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 so the long story is the Congress had just passed what was called the Food Safety Modernization Act, which was like the biggest update of federal food law in God knows how, I mean, I, 50 years or something like that. I mean, and it really imposed a lot of risk controls and requirements on food manufacturers that just didn't exist before. And, and part of my, what I was doing for this fellowship was basically studying that and understanding the requirements. And so by the time I got not to my first law firm because they didn't really do much food law. But by the time I got to Foley, when I realized that we have a really robust food, well, robust FDA practice. So I mean, food, you know, not just food, but drugs and, and devices and all of that. Uh, I thought, uh, well, and well, and also one of the partners, so Mike Flanagan, who, who recently retired as a partner in the Milwaukee office, but about, I would say about half of his practice was also food law. So I just, I kind of naturally gravitated to him as somebody who could give me work, but then he was also a mentor. Um, and he was instrumental in introducing me to um, folks in our DC office who who do quite a bit of this work. And it just kind of took off from there. I mean, it really wasn't anything more than me raising my hand and say, hey, I, I can do this and I'm interested in it. Well, and there it goes. And we have to close some gaps. We'll see how much of it we're able to do. And let's say, I don't know, our final 10 minutes or so together. Okay. But where we left off, you were at a firm that was not Foley in Chicago. And what we know now is that you are at Foley in our Milwaukee office. So close some gaps as to how it ends, you end up joining Foley. I know there was another firm firm in between, but let's talk, talk a little bit about that. What led you to Foley? What led you to Milwaukee? Um, yeah, it, by the time I had the Foley opportunity come up, um, suffice it to say that I was ready to leave Chicago for, for a variety of reasons. The, the, up, the, the place that I was at, uh, at that time, which was also not the place where I started, um, w was not working out. It, it really just, the, the practice was too narrow in, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. It wasn't broad enough for me. They, they just primarily did one thing and I wanted to do more than that. Um, and so when this opportunity with this, this was really just, there, there, there was a, a job posting right for an environmental associate, and I, and I threw my um, application at it, um, and you know we eventually got to the point where we, you know, I did an interview and, and things were going well, 
and Gary Rovner, who's a practice group leader at some point, I, I know said to me, <laughs> uh, we don't have to, cause he's based in Chicago. He, you know, he's saying this is, this, this is in Milwaukee, but you know, if you told me, no, I have to be in Chicago because, you know, because X, Y, and Z reasons, okay, we can make it happen in Chicago. And I said, nope, <laughs> I want I, I want to get back to Wisconsin. It just, it, it felt like home. I love Chicago. It's a wonderful city. Living there is, is difficult uh, though. Um, and it, and I haven't regretted that part of it. I still get back and forth all the time because my, my partner, my partner is still there. Um, and um, it's so easy. You just get on a train and you're there in an hour. And I, and I still love it, but um, it's it's nice to be back in, in Wisconsin where it's just a little bit easier to, to move around. It is. And I'll sometimes like in particularly the Milwaukee area, it's like a mini Chicago, like geographically, you, know, you got the lake in the same place. You got the right. south south yeah. side, well, you got the, the north side. The same place. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, but and it's, the same, and it's the same lake and it's, too. Exactly. Yeah. Exact same lake. Um, but also, you know, for listeners who know, like I grew up in the Milwaukee area, but, you know, I work in Chicago at a fully now Chicago you're in office. Chicago, right. Yeah. yeah right. But I don't begrudge right. anything you've said. And I think also you've touched on a number no, of, of things. But that, that relates just the tra- trajectory of one's the way your life develops, the way your career develops. So what you spoke to is one, you know, you, you lateraled to another firm after your first first firm, you know, for whatever reason, but realized, hey, the scope of this practice doesn't light me up. You know, there's some other things that, you know, I wish I was able to do. And then, you know, the opportunity at Foley, you know, hoping, you know, five years later, um, allowed you to do those things. But you're just speaking to so many aspects of how your interests, but also various things related to just your your life um, and what's best for, you know, where you want to live or things related to family or whatever is also a huge part of one's professional journey. So it's I think it's well, important and I, and to I mention should, I, that. But go ahead. Well, and I also it's not like I was trying to sell Foley short. It's, it's like the, <laughs> the, the one place that will get me the hell out of Chicago. No, no I, 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 was, I was immensely impressed and still am um, by the environmental group. I mean, we really, you know, 10 second advertisement. We no, no, really do this. Do function. I, well, I was yeah. going to have to ask you anyway, the like, what's kept you at Foley? Could you brag about Foley? Yeah. We have to have our Foley propaganda moment. So this is okay, it. Fine, yes, fine. All me, of that. Fine. Here, okay. So here we go. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Foley advertising. This group, unlike the other two environmental groups that I have been you know, part of in my career, actually functions like a group. We don't just say that we're a group. We are one and we work like one. And and that means we work seamlessly across offices. That means that everybody is trying to help each other out. That that means that we have monthly meetings with everybody, that we schedule trainings for associates that are like literally like lunch and learn on relevant environmental topics. We, we encourage our associates to do things like write client alerts and get out in front of you know, the, you know, public facing event, like we do all of, all of the things that like, frankly, the other groups that I was a part of didn't do. Um, they just didn't do. And, and so that you want to know what's kept me here. It's that, you know, it, seriously. I mean, I, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have gotten promoted. I, you know, I, so I promoted senior counsel, what a week ago, like that wouldn't happen. I don't think without the support of the the group oh, that's wonderful. And, congr- so, and congratulations, because yeah, those announcements came out recently. So that title change yeah. probably just happened on our website. Um, that's just wonderful to see each year, everyone, you know, moving, moving forward. Uh, and there's a couple more things I want to touch on in our last few minutes together. Um, which is one, one of the reasons I have you on the podcast is because I was on uh, one of our LGBTQA affinity group calls and I said, hey, you know, I'd love to get some more guests on the podcast and you raised your hand. So I was curious as to <laughs> yes. if a couple of things, if 
one, you could speak to that group in particular, but also I know just from your bio, you're you're active with the organizations in the LGBTQ community in Milwaukee. Um, yeah. So I'm just wondering if you could speak to to either of those, particularly for you know LGBTQ law students who are you know wondering what that community at Foley's like or what that community in Milwaukee is is like. The 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 okay yeah the the community here at Foley is amazing. I mean it, it's the same thing I just said about our environmental group. I mean, we actually literally function as a group and, and, and the people um, who are in the group are just immensely, immensely supportive of the other members of, of the group. Um, and we, so and we, have, we have calls that are with our allies, right? So the, the full group. Um, and, but then we also have um, LGBTQ plus member only calls where it's just us and you know there there are people saying you know on the calls look if you if you're slow if you need help with anything if you need work if you just need life advice like call us you know like that's why we're here and that is wonderful and then and then the fact that the firm really is i think 100 percent supportive of of what we do i mean the list of, I mean, the list of people who are on these alleys, it's, it's miles long, which is fantastic. Um, and, and so, so I guess it's just another, look, if you start, if you, if you are sensing a recurring theme here, it's that Foley is really, really good at putting its money where its mouth is in, in terms of doing the things that it, that it does. And we'll say it says it does, right. Um, which is not really, it's, it's not the case at every firm. It really isn't having been at other two, you know, um, Yeah. I think that's right. And then also I'll plug a few other podcast episodes in case listeners want to hear more about the LGBTQA affinity group. So episode five is with Jack Lord. He's one of the co-chairs of the LGBTQA affinity group. And then also episode 32 is with Eileen Ridley, who's the other co-chair of the group and who's also our chief diversity and inclusion partner. So great place to learn more there. And then Nick, as we do finally wind down, I'm sorry, I've been teasing that with everyone for a while. I hope they're not mad at me, but my two final questions for you is one, is there anything you've wanted to talk about that you haven't had a chance to speak to? And then after that is, what is your overall advice to somebody contemplating a legal career, to that law student or perhaps that lawyer early in their career? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, think you, I think you have to, here, here's, what I, here's what I'd say. Maybe 20 years ago, you, you could you could just say, and, and maybe I'm an example of this, I want to go to law school and that's what I want to do. And, and then you, you go to law school and it's fine and it works out. I, and maybe that still does. I don't know. I, I, but but I, what I would say is think beyond that. So, so not just I want to go to law school, but like what, what do I want to do with that? Um, what... And this is to your point you're making earlier. Like, what are what are my strengths? So I think start there. What are my strengths? What do, what do I like to do? And what is interesting to me? And then start asking a bunch of questions about all different types of fields of law. You know, to try to talk to as many practicing lawyers as, as you possibly can, and and try and figure out what wh- <clears throat> whether the field that they are in or what they are doing sort of suits your personality because because what my sense is is that some people who become lawyers and then get into the field just end up in the wrong type of law and for whatever reason 
then they then that's awful. And then they throw up their hands and they say, well, this whole thing is stupid and worth I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. And 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 if you had and if they had approached it maybe differently and picked a different field, maybe maybe that wouldn't have turned out the same way. You know, or maybe it would have. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, what you're speaking to, I, I call it professional alignment. And I think you can find that in legal. And I think anyone who's listened to more than one episode of this podcast, most of our lawyers speak to that. They found the area that works best for them. And for some of them, they had to switch. They switched a few times. You know, like our, yeah. our head of... Um, Actually, our OMP, like David David Sanders is an example. He's the office managing partner of DC. He's what I would refer to as a corporate guy, right? Like that's what he does. Yeah. But he was a litigator the first four years of his career. You know, and that's not to say that it's easy to sort of just, you know, interchangeably jump in and out of practices. But a lot of the people who really enjoy their day-to-day, they figured out a way to find the area that most resonates with them. And I think that's what you're speaking to. Yeah, for sure. And I and I know we're running short on time, but but to that point. Don't, uh, you know, if if there is an area of of law that you know you like, once you start practicing, that you think you can chase because you want to, like, go for it. I mean, that's how I ended up doing food law, and that's that's a core component of my practice now. Just mainly just because I raised my hand and said, I I know something about this, but I want to learn more, and it, and it's interesting to me, and and sometimes it can pivot your whole career. So Absolutely. yeah, don't don't count that out. Well, I think that is great advice, a perfect note to end on. And I'll just say, Nick, thank you so much for being on the show. My final, final question, if people have questions or comments, can they feel free to find you on Foley.com and send you an email? Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Thank you so much, Nick. Thank you, Alexis. It's been great. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.